Planet Football with John Bradley. Premier League, European and international. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Good afternoon. It's just gone five o'clock across Merseyside online across the world. This is City Talk 105.9. And this, of course, is your regular guide around the world of football in the next 60 minutes. And like all good European leagues and all good football leagues, of course, that's not saying that ours isn't, We've had a winter break. We're back now and we've got plenty to catch up on. So let's get started with the only man who can guide us round the world of European football. It's daily into Europe. Happy New Year, Hello. Arthur. Are we doing that still? Well, I mean, it's the first time we've officially <laughs> spoken to you. So the 20th of January, 21st of January, sorry, today. And we are still wishing each other happy. Although we generally do see each other and speak a lot. We probably haven't spoken since New Year anyway, have we? That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah, I've been trying to avoid you, to be honest. Well, I, it's no surprise anyone who listens to Terrace Talk will understand why. So uh, it's very good. Um what have you been doing catching time and uh, filling your time almost? Uh, it's been strange, hasn't it? The leagues in terms of Spain and Italy, they, they closed down for a couple of weeks, but Germany, of course, they're, they're not back till uh, this weekend. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's five weeks they have in Germany. I mean, they, um, they, they really attribute their good uh, performances at international tournaments on the fact they have an international break. Um, and obviously it's something some people champion over here for England. However, there is a trend now where German teams, uh, notably Bayern, really this uh, uh, winter particularly, they're going off and making money playing friendlies in Abu Dhabi and Qatar and these type of places. So whether, you know, if we did have an international break, a winter break even over here, teams would actually stick to it and not play is another matter altogether. Well, it's the, making to be done. It's the farce of it, isn't it? That Was it Real Madrid played Bayern? In Doha, oh, they played PSG. PSG, and, uh, sorry, yeah, that was, that was it. part of the Ancelotti deal, yeah. apparently. Um, so yeah, the part of the Ancelotti down. deal. Don't you mean just just part of a deal where they could go abroad and make loads of money? <laughs> yeah, that as well. Yeah, that as well. That was it in yeah. Doha. Real Madrid are off playing games. It, it, it's a farce, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a bit of a, a bit of a shame, and we'll see if it has an impact on um, some of the players who have gone away uh, to represent Bayern. Half the German national teams, obviously on the books there. So um, we'll wait and see how that how that works out. But, I mean, clubs are actually trying to make more money than ever now, John. I mean, in Spain, they've just set up this new tournament. It's called something like the World Challenge Tour, mm. right? And um, it's to celebrate the 85th anniversary of the uh, Spanish uh, Football Federation, which already seems like a rather spurious year to pick the 85th. Regardless, teams are going all over the world uh, during the summer, the Spanish sides, to play uh, matches. It will run over three years, and eventually the two best-performing Spanish teams will meet in a final in the summer of 2016. <laughs> really odd tournament. Very, start. very peculiar. Um, let's talk about Spain and uh, La Liga, because they've come back from the winter break. They, they've been back for just over two weeks. They've played three games, and the only notable thing that happened is that Real Madrid, who were miles adrift of Atletico and Barcelona, are all of a sudden right back in the title hunt. They are. It's really tied to the top. I mean, we're so excited about the title race in England. It's really good in Spain this season now. So Barcelona have 51 points, as do Atletico. Barca ahead of them just on goal difference. 
And Real Madrid now have uh, 50, so they're one point behind the top two. That's after both Atletico and Barcelona dropped points this weekend, drawing with uh, Levante and Sevilla, respectively. Real Madrid went to Real Betis and won by five goals to nil. Uh, people may have seen very recently Barca and Atletico drew nil-nil with each other, mm. giving Real Madrid further opportunity to catch them up. So uh, we have a real title race on in Spain now. Rob? We we both watched Barca Atletico. I think it was probably the most eagerly awaited game of the season so far. Um, it was a stinker. Yeah, it was. I mean, listen, I read. Stri- I, sorry, mate. I, I read some sorry excuses for people who were desperately trying to talk the game up and make it sound as though it was good, as though oh, it was intriguing. It was such a a great right. tactic. No, it was rubbish. It was nil nil. Right. It was rubbish. I, yeah, I heard all that stuff. And I, there was there's elements, and I don't know if I sort of read those reports after and thought, oh, maybe there's something in that. But I didn't mm. enjoy the game particularly mm. at the time. And, I turned over uh, and watched the voice. What's that? Sorry. I turned over and watched the voice. Yeah, on BBC One. The, the wife was watching the voice. I was watching the game on my computer, and I just turned over because I, I just wow. I just stopped watching my my computer and watched the voice instead because I just thought it was an awful game. I'm going to um, leave you now. Uh, I don't feel we can we can do this show together anymore. <laughs> well, obviously that took us on to this weekend. Bet, um, Madrid won five at Betis. Cristiano Ronaldo obviously scored another oh, another his goal. John. Oh, wonderful his goal. goal! Wonderful goal! Another insane, Gareth. Sorry, go on. Yeah, insane thirty-yard goal right into the top corner. Uh, one of the replays you can't even see the goalkeeper because he doesn't get into frame in time, let alone <laughs> getting near the ball. So um, yeah, Ronaldo. After a bit of a stinker, actually, the week before, uh, you know, ahead of the Ballon d'Or uh, announcement on the Sunday, he played very badly. I forget where they, they won away from home. Espanyol, I think it was. Mm. He played awful, uh, but he's come back uh, fighting this week after an emotional week when he won the Ballon d'Or. Bale, Benzema, Di Maria and Alvaro Morata scored the other goals. It's their joint biggest ever win at Betis, isn't it? That took us on to Sunday, where Barcelona went to Levante, which isn't an easy place to go. Um and they only drew 1-1. They did go behind, didn't they? And Gerard Piquet scored for them, didn't he? Yeah, he's he's. I think he's got three now or something, and, and he tends to score uh, you know, from corners, mm. set pieces, that kind of thing. Uh, Levante actually took the lead, and Barcelona have uh, found themselves behind in games quite often this season, and they do generally come back to win them. Uh, they fell behind after uh, 10 minutes when Vintra scored, and then Piquet equalised nine minutes later. So you think, right, here we go. Uh, Barcelona are going to go on and win it. But Levante were uh, very strong, played very well. Leo Messi's back from an injury, which saw him miss the back end of 2013. Uh, Barcelona had all their stars, uh, bar uh, Neymar and uh, Iniesta. It was still, you know, Cesc Fabregas was taken off. He sulked and uh, banged on the dugout when he came out. He was livid to to be taken off in the game. But um, Mm. Barcelona dropped points and uh, it's really opening up. Uh, Atletico were at the Calderon against Sevilla. David Villa put them in front, but but the excellent uh, Rakitic scored from the spot, didn't he, for Sevilla? Uh, and then they had a man sent off in stoppage time as well, uh, Alberto Moreno. Diego Simeone is now saying that the issue is that teams are now facing Atletico the same way they'd face Barcelona. So they come uh, particularly to the uh, Estadio Vicente Calderon and set up very defensively and try and hit you on the break or on the counter. Sevilla's goal came 17 minutes from time um, from a penalty, but nonetheless, Sevilla's defensive work and endeavours managed to hold out the likes of uh, Diego Costa, Ardo Turan, uh, Koke, who's just signed, mm. uh, signing a new contract. Which is massive uh, for them, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, huge. I mean, uh, Coke only signed a, a contract back in September uh, where his minimum fee release clause, or whatever you want to call it, was about 25 million euros. It, was, it looked like Man U were willing to pay that. So they've come back to him and said, let's have another contract, higher minimum uh, release clause, around 60 million euros, so you're not going anywhere. And I think Coke's quite happy to sign that because he doesn't want to go anyway. Um, but a missed opportunity for Atletico to go top of the league. I mean, they'll look at that and go, we could have actually been top by uh, two points, mm. uh, and it is a wasted opportunity. Sevilla are around the European places, hoping to reach the Europa League, probably more likely than the Champions League places. Well, I was going to say, if you look at the four teams that are tussling for that last spot in the Champions League, Villarreal, Bilbao, Sociedad and Sevilla, there's, what, six points between them at the minute. Villarreal are fourth. But after Sociedad's performances in the Champions League this season, it does show that once you get below the top three, that the strength isn't really there in Spain. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I, I thought two or three years ago that uh, the, the strength of La Liga as a whole was the strongest league in Europe, but particularly after Bilbao, who were mid-table, dismantled Manchester United. I really thought, wow, that is a, a great indicator that a team mid-table in Spain can tear apart uh, one of the top sides in this country. But... Uh, for me, it has tailed off a little bit. Villarreal promoted from the second tier of Spanish football last season. Um, they're in fourth now. And what a return it would be for them to get um, you know, Champions League football back at the Madrigal. Yeah, three straight wins as well, so they're, they're going pretty well. Um, shall we move on, Paul? Should we, should we move on to uh, what's been happening in... Should we go to France? Because it's been another weekend where Zlatan's been scoring goals. And, and, and the way that Ligue 1 is going at the moment... PSG have now got a five-point gap above Monaco. who have found it pretty difficult, although they did win it to lose at the weekend. They did, and uh, it was a result they desperately needed. If you get a chance, watch the overhead kick from Ocampos on YouTube for Monaco. A sensational goal as they got that 2-0 win at Toulouse. And, and that's a pretty good result for them, actually, because uh, they hadn't won either of their last uh, two league games. And just to show, because people have been critical of Monaco and saying, well, they spent a lot of money. They should be closer to Paris Saint-Germain. They dropped five points prior to this weekend, and that's the difference between them and, and PSG. So it, it has been reasonably close, and Monaco are trying to essentially build a new team to the one which came up from uh, Ligue 2 last season. Um, but they're, they're certainly uh, going to be the top two. Lille, full credit to them in third, um, have stuck with it, but I think Champions League football is what they're looking for now. I think it showed the strength of PSG when you look down who scored for them at the weekend. Thiago Silva, Zlatan got two, one was a penalty, Thiago Mota uh, and, and Cavani as well. It just shows where they are. And I mean, they're talking about adding players, aren't they, in this transfer window. So there's a lot of talk about Johan Cabai. We'll talk about that in part three of the show, but, but PSG are going to run away with it, aren't they? Because Monaco just haven't got the strength in depth that they have. I think this is what PSG actually have uh, now uh, more so than last season. They they don't have to play the same team in the league that they will do in the Champions League. I think when February comes round, that'll be the big test for them. They now do have, you know, a squad of uh, what twenty twenty two players, one in each, uh, two in each position who can come in, um, and it is such a strong team. I mean, it'd be hard pushed to find better front lines than Lavezzi, Ibrahimovic, and Cavani. You know in any league in the world. And um, and that's without they, Lucas Moura. That's without Lucas Moura, who has been linked with mm. Man United. I don't know what the future uh, quite holds for him. Javier Pastore didn't start the game either. Well, he Both cost 40 million, game. didn't he, Javier yeah, Pastore? That, that, yeah, 
20 million euro between the pair of them, mm. uh, and they they weren't needed in a league uh, game. I mean, you know, it's silly what Paris Saint-Germain have done there. They've got a sensational squad. Um, and Ibrahimovic, um, you know, bagged a couple at the weekend. He actually seems very happy in Paris as well, John. He never seems 100% happy anywhere. But at PSG, he does seem settled and quite content off the field as well. Which is, yeah, I mean, the, the, he, he, I mean, he comes out when he does his interviews with his usual pronouncements on the world, but... He just seems quite chilled out nowadays, doesn't he? And he's, he's quite a volatile character. Yeah, I mean, I've just... Um, I'm about a third of the way through uh, his autobiography now. And, um, yeah, he's, volatile is one word for, for Zlatan Ibrahimovic's past anyway. Um, unsurprisingly, by the way, um, his agent said he should have won the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he said he should have won the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he said the World Cup would be nothing without him, mm. which uh, I think... <laughs> That's audacious uh, to say that kind of thing. But uh, that's Latan Ibrahimovic, um, uh, and he, he's wonderful for it, isn't he? Quick word on Lille, who have just dropped off the pace a little, haven't they? But but, but they should get that third place. I know there's a long way to go, but San Etienne shouldn't really catch them, should they? No, I mean, I, I expect Lille to, to to hold on to that. The, the main thing for them has been a superb defensive record this season. Um, but, you know, uh, it was a big defeat of St Etienne, on Friday, um, and that defensive record, which had seen them keep, uh, it was something like 11 clean sheets in a row. Um, that's sort of gone by the wayside ever since they lost uh, 1-0 against Bordeaux in early December. So they have uh, dropped off particularly after that, and uh, two wins in five since then. Um, I still think that they probably are the third-best team um, in France. Well, this is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. You're listening to John Bradley and Rob Daly going through the European League. So we're going to have a look uh, more just after this break and the travel uh, where we'll talk about what's going on in Serie A, which is getting quite interesting at the moment because of transfers there and Milan's failings. We'll also talk a bit of Turkey, a bit of Portugal as well. And then we're going to focus on the transfer window as well. It's all to come right here on Planet Football between now and... And six o'clock. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to Planet Football this Tuesday evening. Myself and Rob Daly are guiding you around the leagues in Europe. We've talked about France, we've talked about Spain, and let's move on now to what's happening in Italy because there has been so much going on over the last few weeks, uh, I mean, there's only one place to start, if we can, because Juventus win after win after win after win after win after win after win. win. 4-2 against Sampdoria. It's 13 straight now, isn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've drawn one, lost one, one 18 uh, out of 20 games. Goal difference plus 36. Um, and I think, I mean, Arturo Vidal just keeps getting better and better. He scored two in the uh, 4-2 win over Sampdoria the weekend. I mean, if Man United actually wanted to sort out their midfield properly, he's the player. That There is no doubt Arturo Vidal is the player who could sort out Manchester United's midfield. Do you and, really uh, think? Do you think I, he could I, come over here and, and play in the Premier League easily? I mean, I'm I really interested he... in your view here. I've watched him a lot. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I like him as a player. I think he's a very good player, but I don't know where he fits in 
into an English midfield in our Premier League. That's my problem. The pace of the game over there is very suited to him. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, what would be the word, pedestrian or mm. be derogatory, but uh, it, you're right in a sense. But I actually think the reason Vidal is so good over there is that I think he's he is more dynamic mm. than some of the other midfielders. And I think that actually works for him in Serie A. Maybe he'd come over here and it'd be... I mean, we've seen players who play at that slower pace mm. in Italy come over here and just bomb. Yeah. And I'm thinking... Aquilani. Aquilani. Uh, Aquilani. Aquilani. <laughs> Aquilani. Veron. Yeah. You know, players who want it being played at this slow pace mm. and they can do what they want. And, I mean, I don't know what Veron must have thought when he came here. Stunned by it, surely, how quick the game was. And he just couldn't, couldn't play at it. We uh, are... So n- think- listen, let, let, sorry, Paul. I want to carry on and move on from there because let's start ringing the bells because we sat here when he announced he was going to Juventus and said he will score goals. He will score lots of goals because that's what he does. And Fernando Llorente is very much the main man alongside Tevez now, isn't he? The, yeah, and I mean, we're, we're talking about the renaissance of the uh, strike partnership with what's happening at Liverpool and Manchester City. Mm. Um, uh, Juventus uh, played two up front last season, but they didn't have a preferred two because no one was really scoring, you know, 20, 30 season. So they invested money in Llorente, and many were survived when they invested money in Tevez. But uh, after Llorente couldn't get in the team at the start of the season, he's, he's first choice, no doubt now. He scored in the 4-2 win against Santoro at the weekend. And him and Tevez actually have a great understanding, and you have that little and large thing a little bit. Tevez um, is more industrious, and he is that terrier-type player that you want as well to work hard alongside Llorente. I mean, it's really working for them two there, and... Um, and uh, neither of us are in any doubt. Despite the fact that Llorente barely played last season for Bilbao, that was more a selection thing than anything. They decided mm. just not to play him. Uh, but he, he's now one of the top scorers, um, one of the top players in Italy and scorers in Italy. And uh, we knew that had happened. In terms of the league, Roma are eight points behind Juve, who we have already given the title to. I think we gave it to them at the back end. As soon as they beat Roma, wasn't it just after Christmas? That was yeah. game over. Napoli are still third. Fiorentina are fourth. Now... I don't know where to start with Fiorentina. At the moment, <laughs> at the moment, they have the likes of Pizarro in, in midfield and uh, and Fernandez as well. But there is the prospect in the coming weeks of Aquilani and Anderson alongside each other. Aquilani, <laughs> of course, uh, who we know from his time at Liverpool, he's made a glass, and Anderson who I think you talk about his size, don't you, is the first thing. He looked a little on the big side. Yes, yeah, so um, you'd hope they could sort him out, maybe with some of that Italian uh, diet over there. I mean, you know, I mean, it was a strange signing for Fiorentina. I wonder if there's a little bit of reputation uh, carrying Anderson over there. You know, he's in a Manchester United century with field player, but for them it's low risk and they certainly need... Uh, you know, a bigger squad actually going forward for the for the rest of the season. I don't know if Anderson would actually make it into that midfield mm. um, at the moment. I don't think he would. Um, but Fiorentina, you know, I think I think they will try and keep pace with Napoli, but will struggle. It depends what team Rafa Benitez plays in the Europa League. Yeah. If he wants to win that and also playing top three, I think they might struggle a little bit. I'd be interested to see what he does in that respect. I mean. That, it's pretty much guaranteed that the top four, as they stand now, will finish as the top four. Um, like you say, it's whether Fiorentina can catch Napoli, but Juventus and Roma have gone. 
Napoli are four points behind them and Fiorentina behind them, but Inter then a fifth on 32. Now, I think the big story over the winter while we've been away has, has been what's happened at Milan, isn't it really? Um, amazing that a club of that size and stature is 11th in Serie A. They are, what, nearer to the relegation zone uh, than they are to what the, I mean to, to those Champions above them, places, to the Champions even. League yeah. places. It's frightening, yeah. really. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been an awful uh, month to six weeks, you'd have to say, season for Milan. But um, their dirty laundry has very much been out in public. Uh, Galliani and Barbara Berlusconi, uh, part of the club's hierarchy, uh, have uh, fell out a little bit publicly. Galliani said he was going to leave. Then they said, actually, please stay and run the football side of things. So Galliani has stayed at the football club. Then there's a situation with the manager, uh, Maximiliano Allegri, the man who brought the Serie A title back to the club three years ago, um, has just seen a steady decline. And um, I, I think part of it is down to the fact they lost great players like Ibrahimovic and Thiago Silva. Um, but also they've just been playing rubbish. I mean, <laughs> Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? The squad's awful. Yeah, but, I don't, but not 11th awful. No, well, not, no, no. Not 11th. No, no. I mean, you look at, right, so so, so since Allegri obviously has taken over, uh, so Allegri's gone and Clarence Seydorf has taken over as first team manager. But the team from the weekend, De Jong Montalivo holding midfield, mm-hmm. Kaká Rubinho and Kasuke Honda off Mario Balotelli. Mm-hmm. You should not be 11. I know Honda's a new arrival, but you shouldn't be 11. <clears throat> I don't care what anyone says. <clears throat> I think um, we'll see an uptune in fortunes in a little bit of a honeymoon period. Uh, Sadoff apparently is going to bring in Crespo to sort out his strikers yeah. as a coach obviously <laughs> uh, Yapstam uh, uh, who's a coach at Ajax at the moment uh, to come over and sort out the defence and apparently Edgar Davids was at San Siro uh, at the weekend after leaving Barnet which would not be a bad <laughs> trade for him to uh, sort out um, the AC Milan uh, midfield but then you've got like four big egos yeah. um, trying to run the uh, Run the football team. The thing is, mate, um, is the thing is, is that you do talk about them, but <clears throat> they beat Verona at the weekend with a back four of Decilio, Zapata, Bonera, and Emmanuelson, Abiati in goal. Milan is founded on its unbelievable defence. That back four, mate, wouldn't get in, wouldn't get in West Brom's back four. No, that's a, that is a very good point, actually, and I think they've even seen something of a decline in the form of Abiati, mm. um, particularly in that recent. Uh, 4-3 loss away at Sassuolo, which, which effectively lost Allegri his job. That was the, uh, the final straw. Allegri announced that he was leaving at the end of the season, didn't he? The day later, they got, they, got, they got beat. Yeah. And then they said, well, actually, you might as well go now. Then they brought a caretaker in who took charge of the cup game. And yeah. then, obviously, Seydorf for the, uh, the weekend. So... I mean, Kasuki Honda signed two weeks ago from CSK Moscow, didn't he? He must wonder what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three different managers for him, as you <laughs> mentioned. Um, and he was used to having one manager when he was uh, obviously in Russia with uh, uh, Lenin Slutsky there. I actually, I mean, they, they made a real big song and dance about Kasuki Honda. Obviously, there is the lucrative um, uh, Japanese market mm. in terms of uh, selling shirts and, and uh, TV revenues, and, and Kasuki Honda is probably Japanese football's uh, biggest name at the moment. I'm, I, I, I do wonder, I mean, they've given him the number 10 shirt. There's all this stuff around Honda. I don't know if he'll make that much of a difference. Well, he never um, did in uh, Russia. Well, it, well, exactly. And, uh, I mean, maybe it was downing tools a little bit. For the last month for uh, Sieska Moscow, 
he was terrible. Mm. He was so mm. bad. And, I mean, Milan still went through with the deal. I mean, it wasn't done and dusted, so they could have pulled out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's not been setting things alight. I know Everton and Liverpool were linked with him for a long time. Um, but I don't think he's going to fix anything. I think Kaká will certainly be more effective than Honda this season. It's interesting that Kaká says that he's now playing without pain for the best part of, for the first time, should I say, in four years. And it has shown in, in his performance. He's been pretty good since he went over there, hasn't he? But, I mean, they really are struggling, aren't they? I mean, they beat Verona at the weekend, but, oof, absolutely. I think it was all, yeah. uh, it was the big thing, wasn't it, where, you know, with Sassuolo and people like when they give him a hiding and, and performances like that just show where Milan have, have really fallen yeah. to. Not, I mean, in terms of comparative, it, we've seen this coming with them. So it's perhaps not as dramatic as Manchester United's fall down the Premier League. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it has been a steady decline for Milan. Uh, they were 13th about a third of the way through last season and somehow Allegri turned that around and got them into the Champions League places. But I think they were thinking, well, maybe the same will happen again this time, but Allegri couldn't do it. There was no turning point and they lost faith in him a little bit. Um, Mario Balotelli is very happy that Laren Seidolf is his new manager. He, said he dedicated the penalty score to the new boss, which I think is a little bit over the top. Um, uh, <laughs> How to win friends they're... and influence people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, I mean, I think their focus actually, you know, if they want to get into Europe, I mean, they're still in the Champions League, but they're not going to win that. They're mm. not going to win that. So it's winning the Coppa Italia and uh, getting into Europe that way. I think Sadoff has even pinpointed that and said, well, um, that's, our, that's our number one priority now. Quick word on uh, the Eredivisie, shall we? Because there was a very big game at the weekend uh, when Ajax took on another side that have been great in recent years that have tumbled down the league now. PSV Eindhoven at eighth in the Eredivisie. It was settled by one goal by Colbyn Sigtorsson. It was an absolute beauty as well. I really like this young kid. Yeah, I like Sigtorsson. I mean, we've um, you know it was no surprising when he earned himself a move to, to, to Ajax not too long ago. Um, and this is Nike side that obviously lost um, probably their, they'd say their two key players in Christian Eriksen and, and uh, Toby Alderweireld, who hasn't really been playing much in Spain with Atletico Madrid. Um, but it was a narrow win over PSV. Of course, De Boer coming up against uh, Koku, who's manager of PSV. And De Boer said after the game that he had sympathy for his former uh, teammate. Um, Brian Ruiz did play, in fact, um, after joining uh, from Fulham, um, but he could have a little impact. And uh, PSV were You mean just like any other Fulham game you played then? Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. Uh, but PSV, um, great to watch last season, scored goals for fun, uh, conceded a lot too, but scored more than they conceded, so they were riding high. I do feel that, you know, you lose someone like Kevin Strootman, yeah. who just sort of bosses midfield and... Uh, you know, and Vijnaldum has been injured for much of the season. He was linked with Liverpool recently as well. That's been a problem. And I really don't think the loan signing of Park Ji Sung at his age solves no. anything. No. I also think you know? as well that that Strootman always said that he wouldn't that he wouldn't leave them until they won the league. And then I think he looked at it didn't he last summer and thought, not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So you think, uh, forget that. Yeah. <laughs> I love I'll, that. I'll get off. I'll get off now. <laughs> yeah, I'll go to Rome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Quick word on uh, the football you were covering at the weekend. You you were offered doing Turkish football, weren't you? Yeah, I was covering Galatasaray this weekend, actually, John, in the uh, 
Turkish Cup, which has a very weird format. You get to the quarterfinals, and then suddenly they introduce a group stage where you have to play everyone uh, like twice. So mm. It just seems like a load of games, and uh, the Turkish league season hasn't started up again, so they've had to cram a load of the fixtures in before the, the league starts again. Um, I saw I saw Galatasaray um, get a 1-1 draw at Antalya Sport. They actually conceded very late on and were about to win the game. Um, but Didier Drogba came back for them. He looked lively, but was largely ineffective. While Schneider just was well off the boil. I mean, it, uh, you know, I'm talking about Vidal sorting out Manchester United in midfield. There's still Schneider United talk. I don't think Schneider would fix anything. No. To be blunt. I mean, I... You know, um, it's not as challenging, obviously, for him in Turkey as it was in Italy or Spain and and perhaps even the Netherlands uh, to an extent. Yeah. But um, I don't think he'd sort out Man United's midfield at all. There's two. Like, there's two listen, there's to... t- listen. There's two football retirement homes now, right? There's Turkey and there's America. And oh, but what about Qatar? Or oh, not Qatar? Well, no, that, that's just, that doesn't even count. I mean, that's, just terms, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Just, that's just going and getting some money. But, you know, playing competitively, Turkey's still not bad. And obviously Galatasaray showed by knocking Juventus out. But they are signing veteran players over there and giving them big, big paydays. We've seen it with Nemanja Vidic. Listen, we need to take another break there because it's time for some adverts and some more travel as well. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, we'll have a look, a look at Portugal and we'll talk about the transfer window as well. That is still to come on Planet Football. This is Planet Football with John Bradley, City Talk 105.9. It's coming up to the hour of 6 o'clock on 105.9 City Talk. This is Planet Football with myself, John Bradley, and with our expert on all things European football, Rob Daly. We've talked about pretty much all the leagues. We have saved one to last because, of course, while we've been having our winter break, it's been a pretty significant time in Portugal, not just because of the great contest at the top of the table, where Sporting Lisbon have, have come from nowhere once again to lift themselves back, challenging with Benfica and Porto. But I think significantly, of course, it's been a time of mourning with the death of Eusebio and three days of national mourning were announced by the government following his death. And I think it, it's amazing that imagine that I don't know. Do you imagine uh, an English player dying and the same happening over here, Rob? Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, um, uh, Eusebio was such an important uh, cultural figure, um, not just a footballer, and uh, his loss affected a lot of people. Uh, he obviously spent his career at Benfica, and, uh, you know, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before, uh, it was the first game they played since his death, mm. um, fittingly against uh, Porto, their great rivals. All the players wore Eusebio's name on the back, didn't they, as well? Yeah, instead of their own names, mm. yeah. And, and sure enough, they, they beat Porto 2-0. And thoroughly deserved Porto... it. Wonderful performance by Benfica, I thought. And, and given what had happened in the build-up to the game with Nemanja Matic just about signing for Chelsea, and they were saying that he was refusing to play and things like that, it was, it was a great game and a good performance, I thought. Yeah, Rodrigo and uh, Garay scored in the game. Uh, Two players who have been linked with Zenit for thirty-five million. God, what are they? Yeah, I mean, listen, that's... Zenit are like those when they used to go. Like, if you went to Dubai in the nineteen nineties, the late nineties, there was all these Russians there dripping with gold and very vulgar and just splashing money as though because they could. And Zenit right. are like them. <laughs> but you love Zenit. I know I love Zenit. I love Russian, but <laughs> they've become a little vulgar for me. Thirty-five million for Gerard. Rodrigo scored twice again at the weekend, and obviously scores a lot of goals. But 
They're talking about him as a 15, 20 million player. Did they not see him at Bolton? Right, exactly. I mean, you know... I know he's a bit um, older now. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, he obviously has um, made something of an impact at Benfica and he never was going to get a look in in, in Spain particularly. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, um, he has been a relatively successful signing for them. I don't think he'll make the breakthrough to the senior Spanish national team particularly in the way that he, he did do for the under-21s. Um, but regardless, he is an important player for Benfica at the moment, who are top of the table by two points ahead of Sporting. Porto in third, I mean, they haven't been as um, as effective this season. Um, some changes there, obviously, with the likes of James Rodriguez and Jean Moutinho leaving. Porto did win at the weekend. So three points between the top three, that's a pretty healthy title race by anyone's standards. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting league out there at the moment. Um, again, I mean, it's good to see Sporting Lisbon back up there. You just wonder, yeah. you know, in terms of the strength of it, because I don't, I don't know where they're at with Portuguese football right now. It just seems to be a breeding ground for other clubs to come and buy the players, doesn't it? Well, they get compliment. I mean, Portuguese football gets compliments for its excellent scouting network, and that it is the, uh, you know, if a, if a player is part owned in South America by, say, a business or yada 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 and they're not quite sure if they'll make it to Spain, then generally Portugal is the first stopping point. So you'll, you'll try out these players in, in Portugal. And it even happened with Falcao to an extent, you know, part-owned. Well, not quite sure uh, what would happen to him uh, in bigger European leagues. Portugal was the logical one for him to try. Big success there, big success in Spain, uh, big success for the people who, who own um, a stake in Falcao. Mm. Um, and Porto continues to have... I mean, this is how a lot of those... Portuguese clubs survive and battle in Europe because they, they rely on uh, acquiring shares, you know, percentages in very talented players because they can't buy them outright. The top um, scorers at the moment in, in Portugal, obviously Jackson Martinez, but the one I think that has taken everyone by surprise is Freddy Monteiro at Sporting, who is scoring for fun. Uh, and, and we've got to remember, this is a boy who was playing for the Seattle Sounders a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a step up for him, isn't it? Mm. And Sporting were obviously looking for someone to, to lead the line with uh, Ricky Van Bolsfinkel leaving uh, for Norwich. And he was very important to them. We haven't seen anything like the player we saw in Portugal in England yet. So that was an important acquisition. And, you know, just another talented Colombian player. Um, yeah, very good for Sporting. And if you have someone who is scoring on average a goal a game, which he almost is, um, you're going to be right up there in the European places. Well, it's been a pretty quiet January so far in terms of the transfer window. I mean, obviously, Robert Lewandowski has been announced that he's going to Bayern. Did Real Madrid really make that bid? I don't... I, I mean, I'd be stunned. Mm. 81 I mean, and, and million, they said, didn't they? Knew, I, mean, it, I mean, everyone knew it was done. Everyone knew it was done 18 months ago. Yeah, but, the, yeah, but even the press over here was still talking about him going to Man United know, and annoying. Chelsea. It was laughable. I really don't know what any of that stuff was about. I mean, mm. it really, I mean, it sells you a paper or it gets you a headline, but the Lewandowski thing's been done for yonks. The mm. first opportunity they could have, you know, by sort of FIFA regulations was like January, and wasn't it announced on January the 2nd or something? Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, but he was never going anywhere else, and, uh, you know, you worry about the competitive nature of the Bundesliga uh, for the immediate future anyway, because Bayern just flex their muscles. They're just so much stronger than everyone else, not just on the pitch, but financially as well. Um, 
most significant move so far in January probably has been the uh, the move of Alessandro Matri, wasn't it? He moved last week and scored twice at the weekend. Yeah, really good move for Matri. He hasn't had a look in at AC Milan this season, and um, Fiorentina needed a striker. Mario mm. Gomez, who they signed from Bayern, injured at the start of the season, out for the whole campaign, I think he has been. Then uh, Giuseppe Rossi was scoring plenty of goals. Of course, he's back from two years of injury problems. Got injured again, a serious injury. I don't think it's as bad as they thought. They think he'll still make the World Cup. Um, so they had needed a striker. They drew 0-0 with the game after Rossi was injured. And they were like, well, we desperately need a striker. Uh, Matri was apparently wanted by West Brom, who were looking at him as, a, as an option. Um, but I know where I'd go. <laughs> and he ended up at Fiorentina, had his medical this week. Made one, scored two at the weekend. Fantastic story for Matri, who has a bit of a mixed reputation in Italy. Yeah. Um, I, I, mean, we'll look, I mean, obviously, the, the, a move that happened was Lucina Traore went from uh, Angie Makacicala to, to Monaco, but he's not staying there. He's moving on from there. Uh, I really liked him at Kuban. Really did like him when he was at Kuban. Uh, I thought he worked hard. I thought he led the line brilliantly in a team that was up and coming. Went to Angie, and although his goal-scoring return last season when they were top of the league was very good, he's disappeared off the face of the planet this season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, uh, me and you watch a lot of Russian football, mm. so we have seen a lot of uh, Lassina Troja, right? Um, Angie obviously had their big uh, summer exodus where they sold all their players, you know, for big amounts of money because they just went to completely gut um, their over-extravagant spending. For Troja, yes, I wonder if that had a, a big part to play. I felt when Hussidink uh, was his manager at Angie that he didn't actually trust Traore in the big games. He, you know, he would play yeah. in the league. But when it came to big games, he'd play Samuelito up front and he would play almost as a number 10 and drop in deep. And, um, I mean, he's a backup centre-forward for Lukaku. I think very good business. He is uh, uh, a bit clumsy, big guy, but he will score goals and it's six for eight. I mean, he's a great target man to have. Ah, but um, he's not, not sure a tar- he's it. not a target man. Do it, you not think though? It, it, it's, it's Peter Crouch. Okay, so that right? <laughs> yes, okay. So Crouch. He's more it. Crouch than Carroll. I think that's the that's the yeah, big no, thing about him. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I mean, if a ball is crossed like seven, well, with him it can be nine foot in the air. He's not going to attack it like Andy Carroll would. That, that's the thing you'd say about him. He's not brilliant in the air. He's cliche, you know, excuse me, but... Oh, don't do it. He's got good feet for a big man. No! <laughs> he has, though. I mean, you know, in terms of him as a player, he's not bad on the deck. I think that, you know, yeah, you, you look at what Everton have got, they do need another striker because, obviously, Kone's not, not been... Uh, able to to play for Everton and and Jelovic has gone so Lucina Traore comes in and, and offers good backup and does score goals and and I don't know if you like the physicality um, but then again it's you know it, it's not a it's not a league for uh, weaklings is the Russian league is it some of the tackling you see out there no no absolutely not I mean yeah I mean interesting bit of business um, you know I don't think we'll see a tremendous amount of him to be honest I mean. What are, are Everton, uh, how are they doing in the FA Cup? I can't quite remember what they did in the FA Cup. Well, they're Cup. away at Stevenage at the weekend. Away at Stevenage. Um, you know, I suppose, you know, they're not in uh, European football, so they, he won't get too many opportunities, mm. I don't think. 
Um, because why would you drop Romelu Lukaku the way he's playing this season? Yeah, and with the greatest of respect to Lucina Trower, he's not going to displace Radamel Falcao at Monaco. No, so, <laughs> so I mean, I mean whether they think long-term, or maybe he's not going to be able to keep Falcao, but he says he's not going anywhere. He says he has no interest in Chelsea this week. He mm. says, you know, I'm, I've got respect for Mourinho, and blah, 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 but I don't want to go to Chelsea. I'm happy at Monaco, but you would be saying that if you were being paid infinite amount of money and not paying any tax um, but yeah he's not going to overtake Falcao as number nine and he's their, their picture boy but they have been playing with two up top on occasion Monaco you know they're not afraid to do yeah that. that's so true maybe there's something there quick word on Kevin De Bruyne you just mentioned Chelsea there surprised that he didn't make it at Chelsea <sighs> or was it just Chelsea shot. have just got too I... many players and, and those that they've got are better than him yeah I mean I I, I I mean, when I saw uh, the sign uh, Villian from Angie, I thought, well, why have they done that? But uh, it's become increasingly apparent how Mourinho-friendly uh, Villian is mm. as a player. And with him in there, you're not going to drop Eddie Nazar. Mm. There's, no, there's no spot for De Bruyne. And I think, I don't think Chelsea will regret it, but I think De Bruyne's value will certainly increase on what they sold him for. And I think he'll be an outstanding, outstanding player. They know he is in Germany. They already knew that. And I was surprised that Dortmund uh, didn't go uh, in hard for him because I thought that he was going to go there, actually. You know, my suspicions were that maybe Dortmund would fancy him as that type of player. Um, But um, good luck to him. I think he's an outstanding player. Really excited by De Bruyne. Well, listen, you didn't make it here. You've got 90 seconds to tell us all about your favourite player. Mohamed okay. Salah. <laughs> right, so I would love to see him in the Premier League for starters. Um, I know, obviously, Liverpool have uh, been monitoring that situation. That's been fairly public. Mohamed Salah, the Egyptian international winger who plays for Basel, has torn apart the likes of Chelsea and Tottenham over the past uh, 12 months in European football. He is, for me, one of the most exciting players in European football. He's direct. Um, he's skillful. He's very quick. He's a bit lightweight, but he's not afraid to get stuck in. And he's added goals to his game. An accusation towards Mohamed Salah is that he uh, only turns up on the big occasion. I'm not a regular viewer of the Swiss Super League, if I'm being brutally honest. Who is? Um, uh, who is? I mean, yeah. Uh, but but uh, on, on the many times I have seen him, because I covered bars a lot last season, I'm just so excited by him. Uh, Merit Yakin, his manager, said, you need to start scoring your goals. It's all very well getting into the penalty area, beating five players. But you've got to score them. He started doing that. And um, I think he, he is uh, perfect for that system that, that, that Liverpool play. So I'd love to see him over <laughs> And that's perfect. Your time is up, Rob. Well done for telling yeah. us all about Mohamed Salah. Thank you. For, <laughs> thanks for guiding us through the week in European football and the past few weeks. Uh, it's been great to be back on Planet Football. Myself and Rob will be back in two weeks to talk you through what else is happening and to start looking ahead to the return of the UEFA Champions League. Rob, you have a great week. You too, John. And we'll see you back here in two weeks' time. This has been Planet Football. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9.